Welcome to another edition of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey. With me today, as always, are Matt and Andres. And we have a great show for you today, touching on, on all the uh, weekend's action in MLS, including some you know, playoff movement. We got some uh, teams below the line making surges. And also touching back, up, touching back up on some teams that we haven't really covered that much um, over the course of the podcast this year. So it'll be good to, you know, kind of hit up on those teams and see where they are at this point in the season. But first, I don't think that there's a better place to start than with uh, Friday night's matchup with the LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Both teams uh, jockeying for playoff positions. Uh, The Sounders below the line, LA Galaxy uh, just above it. So it was going to be a great matchup and it proved to be a great game in the end. It ended up being a uh, 3-3 draw, but there's so much to talk about in this game. Galaxy uh, went up 2-0, Sounders came back, went up 3-2, and Dejan Jovalich buried a penalty in stoppage time to bring things level at the end. So I'll start with you, Andres. How are you doing? Thoughts on this game? Uh, it was a wild one. Hey, Joey. Yeah, I'm doing, doing well. Excited to be on for another week, uh, talking about a, a bunch of interesting games and interesting matchups. Uh, with this Friday night game, yeah, it was definitely a fun one to watch. Uh, interest, there was a lot of interesting tactical stuff that came of it. One is on the Seattle side, they, they switched over to a 3-5-2. Uh, and it looks like that's going to be probably what they're going to go with here for the foreseeable future now that uh, Christian Roldan is going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, and I thought it, it suited their personnel pretty well. Um, unfortunately, they got caught. A couple times coming back the other way, which led to a couple of the Galaxy goals early on. Um, and, and from the Galaxy side, again, they're, it seems 4-2-3-1 is the way that they're going to go about it. They, they went about it again this time with, with Cabral and Grant Sear on, on the wings. Uh, maybe a 4 2 this goal for, for the Victor Vasquez, which I think was a cross uh, rather than a shot. Uh, but they're, they're scoring out of that 4-2-3-1 a little bit more. Um, even though Cabral can't quite seem to finish, uh, it's promising that they're they're getting more scoring out of it. So yeah, super interesting game, super fun one to watch. Uh, I don't know if you guys have strong opinions on the penalty at the end. Uh, I thought it was probably harsh uh, on Seattle that it was given, but I guess uh, based on the letter of the law, that's the way it needs to go. And Overall, it was a really entertaining way to start the to start the weekend, and I don't think either team is particularly happy with three, with uh, sharing the points in this one. No, absolutely not. I, that was kind of one thing that I wanted to add to this. Um, obviously, uh, Galaxy in that seventh spot, and Seattle just a couple be- below them. But at this point, it's it's going to be really interesting. It feels kind of like uh, the cliche about the group stage of World Cup games, where everybody is kind of terrified to lose at this point because three points one way or the other is so, so huge. And uh, that's that's just kind of a trend that I'm seeing across because it's it's a little bit tentative until things break down and then we get, you know, six goal games every single game for a month. Um, in this game, I, I really like, uh, as Andres, you pointed out, the, the, the move to a 3-5-2. I think that's so much better for Nuhu specifically because he can get into really bad spots when he's alone left back. Um, and so having that defensive cover with Kellen Rowe on the left side is huge. Um, 
And then I just wanted to give some props. Uh, Danny Leva has stepped in, has done a, a pretty decent job being, I think, now the third string uh, player in that double pivot along with Rusnak. Uh, so some some things to like for Seattle, but the fact that they're still being caught up ahead is is pretty tough. Your point with Leva is both well taken and uh, basically a necessity at this point because uh, as we project forward, Obed Vargas still out. Schmetz read a quote saying that he is doubtful that he'll return to full play by the end of this year. Obviously, Christian Rodon out bare minimum four to six weeks, it sounds like, maybe more. Um, and obviously, Zhao Paul out uh, through the end of the season. So it's going to be Leva's job, and b- beneath him, that depth basically vanishes at that kind of double pivot, can play the six, can play the eight role. They need Rusnak now to drop down. And it is funny because just, you know, we think about last season where Rusnak was like an eight or a 10 for RSL. And now he's basically relegated to defensive midfield due to the necessity of, you know, losing th- maybe, you know, three guys who could play that position too. So that's really interesting. Um, Matt, do you have more on that? I, I was about to say, I don't think that that's necessarily like, the the second choice for a snack this season because we saw him when it was still the full team with with Joe Paolo or with Obed Vargas uh, in CCL and he was incredible coming out or from a little bit deeper in midfield uh, so I I think this is what we're going to see from Rusnak even in the coming years uh, but it's it's just becomes it comes a question of who's going to partner him oh, 100%. I, I, I'm not doubtful at all that he can play, and he played it well in CCL. I think it's, yeah, for me, it's, this is as low as they can go. They do not have more depth, really, beneath, you know, Leva and Rusnak. They have to be healthy, basically, from this point forward. And Rusnak's put in a shift this season. You know, we, we, you made that point about, you know, this is going to be him moving forward, and a lot of that is because you have Nico Ladero. Nico Ladero is not going to play a six. You know, he can't, I don't think. He's a 10, and that, you know, forces Rusnak to be able to adjust, and he's adjusted very well. Um, Andre, your point on the penalty, absolutely no penalty for me in a normal world. That's just way too close um, uh, to the defender arm. In a, it, it, it's not, a, you know, what you would call a natural position, tucked down to the side, but it's extremely harsh to give that penalty, but you have to finish it, and that's exactly what Jovalich did. I guess moving forward now um, uh, for Seattle, it again, it looks a little iffy right now. They're sitting ninth. Um, uh, obviously, Galaxy are seventh in that last playoff position. Uh, Seattle has to make up one point. Uh, Galaxy do have a game in hand. So Seattle has their work cut out for them, a team that we thought would explode after CCL. Never really has. A lot of that is due to those injuries. But, uh, Matt, next weekend, it's Portland. Uh, at Portland, one of the marquee games of the season always. And now this one with even more stakes because neither of these teams are in the playoffs, sitting ninth and 10th, respectively, Seattle and Portland. And they need points badly if they want to put themselves in that conversation. Yeah, and both teams in a rough run of form. This game is always just electric in the stands, and there's always so much, so much energy on the field. Um, I am putting this game on A1 screen. Like, this is going to be huge because this could very well be the determining factor on if these teams are going to make the playoffs. Like, right now, Cascadia is 
crazy compact because you also have the white caps also on 34 points uh, where Seattle and Portland are on 33. This is a tight, tight race. I think Seattle has another trip up to Vancouver, but it's going to be a tight race to see which of, if any of these teams get in. And, you know, uh, definitely different stakes to this one than in past years where we might be talking about Portland, Seattle, jockeying, you know, maybe for a supporter shield or up there at the top of the West. And, and now it's, you know, to see who might make the playoffs. Might. These teams, both these teams could very conceivably not make the playoffs, um, which would be a shock. And what was this that like seven straight years that's either Portland or Seattle represented in the West and MLS Cup. Uh, that looks destined to come to an end. Um, and for one of these teams, it might uh, if they do not win this game. Andres, I am interested uh, quickly to finish up on the Galaxy. You know, they, they started really well, and then they shipped three goals in a matter of, I don't know, what, 10, 15 minutes um, in, in the second half. I like 20 minutes, I think. They shipped three goals, uh, and, you know, we're very lucky to come back at the end. What does this say about the Galaxy moving forward, especially now with Brugman and Ravellison out and having to play with what they've got for, uh, now for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned, the positive is that they they seem to be scoring a little bit better out of that four two three one, um, But once again, that's now the last three matches, four goals given up, two goals given up in a 5-2 win, and three. So that's what, six, nine. They're averaging three goals a game giving up in the last three. Um, and this isn't a team that has historically been very good defensively. So uh, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago how unsure I am about the Galaxy going forward. I don't think um, this does anything to dissuade that. Uh, the the performance against Vancouver was was pretty good. Um, this one was, was decent as well, but I, I still worry about them defensively and, and consistency from the wing uh, play. So... We'll see on the Galaxy, but I'm still not super sold on them. One thing that might help them out, I did uh, just recently have it come across my uh, athletic feed. Uh, They did sign Martin Caceres. So hopefully that experience, that level of quality from the Uruguayan International might be able to help them out. Yeah, um, player who came in for Le- uh, from Levante in Spain. He was without a club for a little bit. Levante got relegated uh, to uh, La Liga 2. So he comes in, a uh, player who, World Cup pedigree, played in qualifying um, for Uruguay this time around, uh, played and started all five games of Uruguay's 2018 World Cup campaign. This is an experienced player who's played in the top five leagues. And if he's able to come in and, you know, shore up that defense, like, like you said, Andre, uh, Andres has not been amazing uh, at all in recent games. That could be a massive, massive boost for them as, you know, we talk about Portland and Seattle, um, you know, outside the playoffs. But the Galaxy are fighting for their playoff lives with two games in hand, albeit, but on the same amount of points as Vancouver. So that could, that's a pendulum that could swing either way. Um, and you know, we could be in a position where the Galaxy missed the playoffs again. Shoring up that defense is going to be key down the stretch. So that's basically it on that game. Uh, 3-3 between uh, Galaxy and Seattle. That was a great way to start off uh, the weekend of MLS. I do want to move on to teams that we have touched on fairly recently, but playing each other playing each other in a game that you mentioned last week, Matt. I mean, the Red Bulls 
had kind of stagnated, but kind of stayed above the pack that was fighting to make the playoffs. They were kind of sitting pretty at fourth. Meanwhile, FCC is in a uh, in a scrum at the bottom um, of the East playoff race. So uh, Red Bulls hosting FCC on Saturday, and it wasn't a particularly banger of a game. It was 1-1 it finished. Uh, Matt Miazga, of all people, uh, on one of his first starts for FCC, uh, gets the goal on the 13th minute off a header, off a set piece. Then Klamala buries a penalty 10 minutes later and nothing else for the rest of the game. It finishes 1-1. Red Bulls still sitting in fourth in the East. FCC sitting in ninth, only one point out of the playoffs. Andres, I'll throw it to you. What does this mean in terms of the East playoff race? And did either of these teams impress you more in this game um, that would be you know, worth talking about? I think you you said it right. It, it wasn't the greatest of games. Um, there wasn't there wasn't a ton going on uh, in terms of back and forth. It seemed like the energy was a little bit down uh, from from Rebel um, and from Cincinnati for that matter. I think it's an okay result uh, for Rebel. The big result was the midweek uh, win against Atlanta that gave them some breathing room, um, taking a point at home against another rival, basically. It doesn't allow that rival to get the points, uh, which uh, which I think is useful for them. Uh, Cincinnati gets a point on the road against uh, a playoff uh, playoff contender or, or a team that's currently uh, pretty well above the line. So I think it's an okay result for them as well, but they also are looking for three. So this is one of those games that you kind of battle to a stalemate and, and to be honest, wasn't the greatest of watching. I think we've seen better from both teams throughout the season. What do you guys think? No, certainly. You're, yeah, you're not wrong. Matt, what do you have on this game? Uh, not a ton, to be quite honest. This one was, a, like you guys said, it was a snoozer of a watch, comparatively. Um, I just wanted to note, like, again, not a goal from run of play for the Red Bulls. Uh, this is coming off of a penalty that was absolutely rightly called, but it still brings to mind the question of, who is going to score for this Red Bull side if they're not getting it, you know, from some fantastic play from uh, Luquinhos or uh, occasional goals from Klamala? That's there's still the question. Yeah, uh, I think there's a ton of questions still with this Red Bulls team, which is the reason why I don't see them very highly heading in the playoffs. But they they're still five points separated from fifth and fifth through thirteenth. 5th through 13th in the East is separated by only 6 points. So, if they're able to keep some distance between that and secure themselves a home playoff game, which we know is going to be crucial, um, they could, you know, very conceivably make the second round of the playoffs, but these questions still remain about scoring, and we'll see where that takes them heading um, into the playoffs. I I think just one thing that was interesting to me is just it was a very back and forth game. Do you guys think that the Red Bulls are equipped at all to play possession soccer, or do you think it it will have to be kind of the Red Bull way from this point forward? Do you think they have enough in the midfield uh, to make it happen, Andres? I'll start with you. No. <laughs> in in short, I, I think neither they neither do they want to play that way, nor have they been practicing playing in that style. Uh, nor do they really create chances through uh through principles of play they're really much more of a direct uh turn teams over get goals off of set pieces so 
yeah, I don't think that's the way that they want to play. I think it's a little late in the season to, to go in that direction. Um, I, I didn't mention in this game, they get a, a result even though they rotated probably three their three best players. So Lukinius, Morgan, and Aaron Long were all off the bench for, for basically teenagers um, and Andres Reyes as, as their replacements. And they've been playing with a lot of Edelman in the middle, uh, giving Frankie Maya some rest. So that's that's helpful in terms of keeping the legs under the guys. But in, in general, no, I don't think that's the way that they want to play. And I, I think it's a little late to start attempting to do that at this point. Yeah, and, and I just echo that. If you look at the, the talent that they brought in, it's all just very, very active, fast, incredibly, uh, or people with incredible endurance. Like, this is designed to run teams into the dirt. Uh, and that's that's exactly what it's always going to be. Yeah, you know, bringing in, or not bringing in, but like having Tom Barlow on the bench could maybe, you know, make something there up top if they decide to bring him in and, uh, you know, give him some more time and not start Klamala. Obviously, Tyler Pasher, they're signing uh, from Houston, him, you know, tra- transferring in. I just don't really see it up front. That's my problem. I, I can see it through the midfield. I like Lewis Morgan. I like Lucinias. I like Frankie Amaya a lot. Drew Yearwood. But once you get up top, I just really haven't seen too many games at all from Red Bulls this year where it's, you know, r- repeatable patterns of play in those high-quality, you know, expected threat areas. It hasn't happened that much. It, it's a shame because this team has the makings of a great team from you know the back to about the midfield, and even Klamala has shown himself to be an okay striker at times. They just never really had those repeatable patterns that see Klamala get in threatening areas. They never play those balls. That's a problem for them. As for FCC, they just have to kind of continue to scrap their way uh, up the standings because you know they were they were in that sixth seventh spot for a while. Now they've slid out, and it'll be hard for me to see a scenario where they they have a very easy path in at all. I, I think that they, they're not going to make the playoffs at this stage, but they have a gettable schedule and we'll see if they can, you know, turn some of those easier teams into wins. Brandon Vasquez, we know is still a stud as is Lucho Acosta. Brenner's been having a better season. So we'll see what they can do moving forward. Now we can get into the teams that we haven't talked to as much this uh, season, but are either in playoff positions or threatening for them. And uh, RSL versus the Whitecaps on Saturday night in Rio Tinto uh, was certainly a game that flew under the radar, but has pretty massive implications on the whole uh, for the playoffs. RSL sitting fifth on 38 points, uh, four spot or four points clear of eighth. And as for Whitecaps, you mentioned uh, Matt earlier. Just um, you know, tied on points. Uh, oh, unfortunately, two games more played than the Galaxy. But this game was a barn burner. Had posts uh, being hit. You had it all. Julian Gressel getting a header and then getting drug tested after the game. All that good stuff. So, Matt, I'll start with you. How did this game you know, play out in, in your eyes? And I think this sets it up for a very interesting race for the playoffs for both these teams. Yeah, this game was a lot of fun. Um, when you're looking into what each of these teams likes to do, uh, it's very, very different. The entire you know plan for Vancouver is 
get it to gold, let some, or let him create something. And they're able to do that with a lot of uh, regularity, truly. And it's because he is constantly everywhere. And then if you're looking at RSL, it's all about turning a team over and then finding a way outside and then back inside. So it's always going to be uh, Paulo Ruiz turning the ball over, finding just a mirror outside and him bringing it into Savarino on a, uh, a cutting run or putting it up to Cordova to go ahead and hold up the ball. They are a ton of fun to watch. Um, a couple of players that I wanted to just make note of in this match. Miram was all over the place. He was incredible because he was constantly having to make the defensive work too. Um, you'll see a lot of times where Brody is making the overlapping run, but Miram is such a good defensive winger covering back into that space. Uh, as far as what this match actually held, uh, really, really nice goal from Cordova. Uh, I believe that was on the bending run. Uh, or that was the beautiful ball from Loffelsund, who has been a breakout star this season. Uh, beautiful bending ball around the back line onto Cordova's run, and Cordova was able to put it past Hassal. And then uh, the Vancouver gets their goal from the exact opposite of what you would expect. A beautiful ball served in by Gold to Julian Gressel, of all people, who's generally the one to be making that great cross. Uh, really, really fun game. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch RSL games, make sure that you listen to Brian Dunseth because he's so, so good at his job. He's just, he's great. Uh, and he teaches the game really, really well. So lots to like in RSL and fingers crossed, lots to like in Vancouver. Yeah, I think for me, the interesting thing in this game and, you know, watching RSL, you know, periodically throughout the season is just their play style isn't, you know, it's not the most beautiful thing in the world. Let's just be frank. They love the counter. They love, you know, that, you know, big ball down the channel to the, you know, the striker making the run and filling up uh, through the midfield. You know, Savarino gives them an option to kind of play beneath Cordova and kind of occupy zone 14 in the way that, you know, many of these MLS teams have, whether it be a Zellerian or a Victor Vasquez, even for LA Galaxy, Maxi Morales, just kind of, you know, that 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 poacher up top of the box who's willing to just be that creator. Savarino can offer that, but even before him, this is the way that RSL have been trying to play go big and like you said Matt outside in it's definitely an interesting playing style but when you have midfielders who, who are willing to work and win those balls and spring those attacks like Lafelson like Pablo Ruiz who are you know flying under the radar in many a way but are dynamite in that you know double pivot in defensive midfield that ball by Lafelson was a beautiful pass uh, stemming from uh, a Vancouver shot that hit the bar came back out, and then Loffelson hits that, you know, absolutely gorgeous ball around the center back into Cordova. It looks really good from RSL, and they continue to do it to the tune of what, you know, fourth or fifth place in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're fifth place right now, so they're, they're getting the points, and I don't see a scenario where they really fall be beneath the line, and that's just a testament to their playing style. Andres, um, just before we wrap up on this game, I do want to you know, continue to mention Vancouver because it's a team that has improved in recent weeks, have now, you know, gotten themselves to eighth, which I think is probably the highest spot they've been in a while uh, in their race for the playoffs. But how do you see this team and how do you see their push going 
as they you know try and get above that line in these last couple games. So full transparency, I don't expect them to make the playoffs, uh, but definitely it's been it's been a much better run. They were towards the bottom of the table two months ago, uh, battling with Sporting for for last, and and it seemed that the season was was pretty lost, and they played much better. Um, that said, I think the teams in and around them are, are probably more more complete. Vancouver's played the most games out of that group, um, and I think that that three in the back system can sometimes get exposed, and you have results like the one um, against the Galaxy a, a week ago or so. But in, in general, they've been kind of a fun team to to follow and to see how they've progressed. They've been pre-hurt with injuries throughout most of the season. So now that they're a little bit healthier, they're definitely more competitive. Uh, but I think the numbers under underlying and the goal differential and everything kind of shows that this probably not a playoff team this year, uh, but much better than we thought two, two or three months ago. Yeah, much better than we thought. And they showed that they were willing to possess the ball in this game and, you know, try and, you know, have that field position. They didn't always work out. You know, they had times where it was RSL on the front foot and they were pinned in, but they were showing me that they really wanted to play. And I, you know, give credit to Vanny Sartini. Um, he's just a, he's a heck of a coach. And by the way, they've already won the Canadian championship. So they have a trophy this year already uh, for what that's worth. So, you know, good stuff. CCL next year. Yeah. CCL next year. Like, it's been good stuff for Vancouver in these last couple months um, to kind of slowly work their way back up the table and obviously get that trophy. Um I think, you know, we can move on now, but I, I do want to continue um, to talk about that playoff race in the West because I think it is super interesting. And I know, Matt, you've got something on Colorado and Houston. Both those teams, uh, you know, Colorado really the one with the chance to fight its way up and Houston kind of, they're, they're out of it now, tie with uh, Sporting KC at the bottom of the West. Yeah, I I just had kind of a quick note on this game. I always go through my uh, the weekend after I've I've gone through most of the games and everything, and I I go through the the good, the bad, the ugly. In Colorado's one where I had to immediately drop them in the ugly uh, to give up a goal on the last kick of the game. Uh, it when you are going up against a Houston team that is in horrible form, I think just about the worst form in the league uh, outside, yeah, outside of DC. Um, and to, to give up points to that Houston team at home, that's really, really pathetic. Uh, they were down a man at the time with uh, a red card to oh, Brian Acosta. And uh, it's just, that's not something that if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to have a chance, you can be giving up that situation. Absolutely not. And, and we're talking about a Colorado team that if they take three points in that situation, they're on 34 points right there with the Galaxy and with Vancouver, you know, fighting for that last playoff position and right there. I mean, right there. And, and now they, they are sitting 11th, still only uh, two points removed from the, those teams that are in that seventh and eighth spots. But they still have their work cut out for them. Every point matters at this point in the season. I know it's a cliche, but every point matters. And you give up two against yeah, the Houston it, team who has not been on fire recently at home, right? Where the fans should be behind you and you should have all that energy that you possibly need. 
um, to make this run for the playoffs. So I, I agree with you there. Um, Andres, I do want to throw to you uh, Colorado because you know, now we're kind of you know, just touching on our small storylines around the league. We kind of hit all the big games that we wanted to talk about. Um, but it, it, does, it, it does interest me, this Colorado discussion, because, again, one of those teams that have shown it in flashes but just really have never kicked off. How do you see this team? Yeah, it, it hasn't been the, the greatest of, of years and everything that kind of went their way last year uh, with that great run to first in the West kind of going against them. Um, but that said, I still think that this is a team that, that has a, a run left in them. Uh, and if we look, you know, two points back with seven to go, uh, they've got DC United in there. They've got San Jose in there. They've got six pointers with Vancouver, the Galaxy, um, and Nashville in there. You know, outside of this upcoming weekend where they play Philadelphia, uh, they're all gettable games and they're all games that are against teams that are either right with them or, or below them. So I think there's enough talent in this team. I think uh, Robin Frazier, uh, rightly so, was pretty disappointed with that 95th minute equalizer. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them kind of put something together here the last couple of weeks. Uh, because I think that that the team in general has enough players and the structure is there, as we've seen before, um, for them to be able to pull it together. And credit to them that, you know, despite, like you said, kind of those things that went for them last year, not going their way this year, that they, you know, still stuck around and are in a position now in this last home stretch to make something happen and throw their name back in the hat. Um, and obviously you're going to need goals from people like Giassi's artist and, uh, Rubio and all those players, uh, to make that happen. So for Colorado, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Cause they are only on negative three goal differential, which is way better than Vancouver. So we'll see where that goes. Um, and, and a game in hand two over Vancouver who are sitting eighth right now. So that's basically all we have on, uh, Colorado. I do want to swing it to the, the earthquakes LAFC game wasn't really that instructive for me just because LAFC this was just clearly a game they were willing to not give a hundred percent uh you know just you know play Sebas Mendez in the midfield when I think if they're starting an MLS Cup final he's probably coming off the bench that kind of stuff so I I would take this game with a grain of salt but with the earthquakes I see a lot of positives I I see a ton of positives because with Lucci coming in uh, you know, next year, as we mentioned with Doyle on the last episode, it's it's going to be a, a little bit of a change for this team, but they have all the pieces in which to make this work, and I think that's crucial to mention. You had a nice goal from Kakanovic on a nice build-up sequence. Kate Cowell's goal was beautiful. He's coming off the bench for this team, a youngster that kind of has yet to find his footing, but if he does, he could, you know, shoot off. This Earthquakes team in a vacuum is interesting to me, not in terms of what they're going to do this season, but the roster build isn't horrific. So, Matt, I guess I'll throw it to you quickly on the Earthquakes. How do you see this team moving forward, not this season, but into next season with pieces like Montero, Espinoza, and obviously Abobasi, who are all really good attackers and just need to find that spark to get this team in the playoff hunt? Absolutely. Um, the I think the way that I'm approaching the Earthquakes at this point in time is remembering that development is not a straight line issue it will be fits starts regressions it's going to be all over the place and you look at some of the the players on the bench uh we got to talk about joe or uh joey 
uh, Nico Sakaris with the youth national team. Uh, we have seen what Cade Cowell can do. Uh, he's had a very big regression this season, but can we go ahead and get back up to that spot? Um, that, you know, do I think the earthquakes are going to be good anytime uh, in the next couple of years? Probably not. But there is a lot to like. Marchinkowski is a good young goalkeeper. Cruz Medina is one of the best prospects that the, the Earthquakes have really ever had. Uh, if they can supplement that with good talent and mixed bag on that, is in my opinion, um, they they can start the process of going in the right direction. Uh, but we ask a Dallas fan. It took some painful years to get to the point where their team was good. Yeah, no, that's a great comparison. I like that one a lot. Um, and a great point that you made about Securus, I completely forgot about him. He's a player who I think featured in like the League's Cup, or it wasn't League's Cup, or like, Open Cup, or it was an auxiliary competition. But I think still, like he's a player who you could see break into this team in a real way next year or two years. Cause we watched him with the youth national team and he was really bright as the youngest player on that team. Um, and we talk about other players who are experienced in this league, like a Boba C he's doing really well. He's just a goal or two back behind those guys who are in that national team conversation. As we mentioned with Doyle, he's not necessarily in that tier one. He's not in the national team conversation really, but he's a player who, is putting up those numbers and looks good on this team. When they went forward versus LAFC, and again, grain of salt, um, that this LAFC team wasn't necessarily full strength, but they look threatening in attack. It's just kind of been those defensive moments and not being able to hold leads and all that kind of stuff that's gotten to them this year. It, it happened early, and it's happened even more recently, where defensively it's been the struggle. If they're able to bolster that, whether it be you know through a stingier midfield or a back line that is just, I don't know, more disciplined. They have something going for them. And I know Andres, you did want to touch on LAFC and uh, Chiellini being out. That is interesting. And I'll kind of you know, give you the floor for, I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what's going on either, but I just, uh, it's, it's notable for me that Chiellini was out due to load management. Now three games in a row. Um, so that's, you know, that, not a great sign. Um, and Gareth Bale, who was out due to load management, both, uh, previous weekend and midweek, uh, doesn't get the start here. He's still coming off the bench. So I, I wonder, you know, is that going to be what we see from them point blank, uh, from, from Bale? Is he, is he always going to be a 30 minute player at the end, even, even when he gets a little bit more time with his, with his squad? Um, and now with Mamba Dufal going out on loan, um, this this huge center back depth um, and depth in general that they had uh, seems to be uh, a little bit less so. That said, you know this is still the deepest team in the league. Um, they still have uh, plenty of players to cover for them. It looks like Brian Rodriguez is out, uh, but you bring in Christian Teo uh, to replace him, and we haven't seen Bowanga yet, so. Plenty of depth still, but just a little bit of concern or at least intrigue as to why these guys are getting so much time off due to load management. Yeah, looking like uh, when you're talking about the center back depth that fall, 
is going to be loaned out to Villarreal uh, in La Liga. I don't think he's probably going to be able to start for their senior team, their A team, but maybe a youth team or you know whatever uh, situation he can get. If he can just get minutes, that's just crucial for him and his you know development as a young player. Minutes are the, always the most important thing, and he wasn't really getting them on this team, especially since Chiellini's come in. That'll be interesting uh, to watch. But yeah, if they Chiellini, I think hopefully they're able to rotate him back in. Bale's also interesting. I think at some point he's got to have that starting spot, but we'll see how far into the future. They've afforded themselves quite a lot of leeway at the top of the uh, the West, but hey, you know, that's your player. That's why people are, a lot of people are coming to these games to see him. So if that's the case, he's got to get on the field more. It'll be interesting to check that out. I think now, because we kind of touch on all the stuff that we wanted to touch on for, you know, this past week, we can kind of transition into next week right now. Um, we have a massive game in the West. We talked about Seattle-Portland. Normally, that would be the marquee game in basically any other year than this year. But preceding that on uh, this coming Friday, Austin FC plays host to LAFC. And Matt, that one is an absolutely massive game at the top of the West where both these teams are on 26 games played and separated by nine points. I don't think Austin's going to be able to claim that number one spot, but this will certainly be an interesting test heading into the playoffs of the two teams that have distinguished themselves in the West as Austin takes on LAFC on their home turf. Yeah, this one's going to be a huge question of uh, or, uh, uh, proof of confidence. Like, or, uh... This is going to be Driussi going at that back line. This is going to be, can Austin's fullbacks actually contain Vela and, uh, well, I suppose not Rodriguez. Uh, I suppose probably Apoku. Um, we, it's going to be electric. And it's going to be in Q2. Uh, it's it's going to be really, really big. This is going to be... I still have some questions about Austin because obviously they go into uh, Minnesota this weekend and uh, give up a couple of goals. Uh, so there's some questions there. Now, how much can those questions be solved by Drusy just knocking it out? This is going to be the, this is going to be the show. It will be the show, and we talk about a you know what a double header by the way having uh, Austin FC, LAFC, and then. Timbers Sounders back to back on ESPN eight and ten uh, p.m. on the East respectively. Those will be wild games and a great doubleheader on Friday. If you're an MLS fan, that's appointment viewing um, all night. I guess we can you know move on from that game unless Andres you wanted to touch on that. But I think a good point uh, that you guys have been bringing up recently is that the Florida teams have been flourishing, and so as we're kind of previewing next week because we have the time, thankfully, I, I guess we can you know, hit on, you know, the Red Bulls and Inter-Miami, Inter-Miami going uh, uh, to New York for that one, and then Orlando City playing host uh, to NYCFC on Sunday. Between those two teams, those are really interesting playoff discussions, and I guess we can start with the Red Bulls taking on Inter-Miami. Andres, I'll throw it to you first. How will this primarily affect Inter-Miami's playoff hopes as they look to, you know, stay above the line? So this past weekend was, I thought, really, really big uh, for for Miami, especially. Uh, from, one side, from one end, I thought the Red Bulls' midweek win against Atlanta 
kind of gave him that breathing room to to be clear well above the line. Uh, and then coming into the weekend, Miami winning um, at home to a Toronto team that played midweek. And that's another one of the themes that I'm seeing is teams that are playing midweek are coming back and struggling on the weekend. Uh, it was pretty evident this weekend. Uh, but Toronto coming in and really needing some points, uh, losing at Miami. Miami now six points clear of Toronto uh, with a game in hand. Um, also six points clear of Chicago and Atlanta. So that's that's given them some breathing room on those teams. But that said, you know, New England's only two behind and, and on even games as is Cincinnati. So I think this game's bigger for Miami than it is for the Rebels. I think the Rebels gave themselves some some breathing space, but Miami's right in the thick of it and and playing pretty good right now. So this is a this is a big game for them to to show because after that they get Columbus, Chicago, Columbus again. Um, so those are all six pointers uh, with teams that ride in around them. Uh, this is a big opportunity. It's a massive opportunity. Um, and, and this is a team that we mentioned on the last couple pods because they haven't lost in five. Inter Miami is where it's at right now, and even though they're doing it against teams that are either struggling or you know, haven't really found their footing. They're still, they're still doing it against, you know, players like Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi this past weekend with Toronto, NYCFC the week before that, drawing Montreal in Montreal the week before that. Those are quality results, quality results. And Andres, I don't know if you want to, you know, kind of touch on what's changed because we kind of done that recently, but I think something that is worth, you know, touching on is they have a, a considerable amount of depth in that midfield and up top, and they've really found players like Indiana Vasilev, who's coming off the bench now, but who's contributing big time. You guys, you have guys like Lassiter and Taylor starting, Pasuelo, you know, kind of operating in that 10 role. This is a solid team, and their team build just over the last year or so has been incredible to put them in this position. Yeah, what's changed is basically everything uh, from mentality. Uh, this was a team known for going behind and folding and basic, basically capitulating, uh, being pretty mentally weak the last couple of years. Not the case this year. They've taken more points uh, from losing positions than any other team in the league. So mentality completely switched. Uh, guys like Damian Lowe are really shoring up the back line. Uh, Gregory and Mota are playing in that double pivot. Uh, being pretty solid, not giving uh, a lot of space in the midfield. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, some of the winger guys, Lasseter, Taylor, having good years. Uh, somehow they've gotten Iguain to be engaged again after that looked like it was going to be a lost cause the first month. And then the, the jewel is this Pozuelo has come in motivated and playing well, and he's been really good for them uh, since he's been in. So it's a 180 shift from what we've seen previously, and it's literally along every single uh, line. Goalkeeping better, the defense is better, the midfield is better, and the attack is better. Um, and it needed to be because they were pretty awful the last couple of years. So, yeah, good on them. And I, I don't know if it's enough to get into the playoffs, but it's, it's light years ahead of where they were. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, Phil Neville's done a really, really good job with this team because they're also, uh, as you're saying, developing some of that young talent. And, you know, I'm, we know that Miami is going to be a, a hot spot for young players eventually, but Drake Callender, Ryan Saylor, some of these guys are 
just starting in this league and they are playing really, really well. And if you can, you know, use them to supplement uh, some of those other pieces, those, those, those Motas, those Grigores, those Iguains, that, I think, that, that benefit falls on the coach. It's been a really, really good year for Miami. There were plenty of people calling for his head after last year. And, it, like, you know, we, we've touched on, it's not just the players, and the players are a massive part of it, but it's the mentality shift and the culture shift in this entire team, turning over players, you know, you, in, installing new players, young players, you know, untested, uh, and having this mentality of winning and, you know, just, you know, thick or thin, sticking, uh, you know, sticking with it and getting the job done. And that's what they've done recently. Those dividends have only started to pay off now, but it's to the tune of a playoff spot at the moment. And they're not in any kind of form that would make me think that they want to drop out anytime soon. And taking on the Red Bulls in New York is going to be a massive challenge. And if they're up to that task, they might, they might just make the playoffs. And that is... That that's rather unconscionable thing. Uh, Inter Miami last year, uh, uh-uh. so that that's a crazy turnaround. And I kind of touched on it mainly with Andre. So Matt, um, as we look to that other, uh, the other Florida team that has continued to give themselves a little, just the tiniest bit of separation, um, above that playoff line in Orlando City, they will host NYCFC on Sunday. An NYCFC team, like we said, has been a little iffy in recent weeks. Just got the win against Chicago. So how will this Orlando City team fare, do you think, versus NYCFC? And do you think that you know, their overall you know, work this season will be enough to put them in the playoffs at year's end? Orlando, I'm a little bit more worried about than I am with Miami. Which, again feels weird to say they did a lot of really, really good stuff earlier on in the year to give themselves a little bit of a cushion. But they're facing one of the toughest schedules in Major League Soccer throughout the rest of the season. Um, Coming off the weekend, really, really great win going into Charlotte, which we know is a pretty tough spot to play. Uh, Getting goals from Cara and from Akindele. Facunda Torres was tearing stuff up. They now have to show that against NYCFC. And then if you look at the rest of their schedule, obviously tossing in an Open Cup championship, because why not? Then you have uh, six of probably the hardest matches you're going to have going to Philadelphia, having to go play at NYCFC. And then the only real games that they have against teams that are not in the playoff or above the playoff line are that Seattle team, that Atlanta team, that's a rivalry, that's going to be tough, and Toronto. This is a really, really tough run of games. And I don't know how much I trust all of the pieces to stay consistent throughout that stretch. Uh, Carr has been good this season, but, you know, we're going to need it to really, really show. I think that uh, Giacchini needs to go ahead and get some more run in this game to give a little bit more, uh, or put a few more, uh, fewer miles on people's legs. I, but I'm worried about this team. Like in the East, they they're on 36 points. Do I trust them or Cincinnati more? I trust Cincinnati because they have a weaker schedule. Yeah, that's a great point you mentioned about their schedule. I hadn't looked at that until you just mentioned it. It is really a murderer's row in there. And I'll just kind of relay this discussion to you, Andres, because Matt touched on it pretty well. But there's a ton to touch on when it comes to Orlando. 
it's a team that hasn't really, you know, continued that bit of a cushion that they created themselves for the first couple months. And now they have probably, like you said, Matt, the toughest schedule I've seen, you know, uh, coming in uh, the home stretch in the league. And they're doing it with teams like Inter-Miami surging around them. What do you see in this Orlando team? It's a, it's a strange one. I, I echo the sentiment, and I think we talked about it last week or two weeks ago, about uh, just a lack of confidence in Orlando. The Ertron Carroll situation, I'd love to hear from somebody inside on what's going on there, because he's been their top scorer. I thought he's played pretty well when he's been in, uh, but he was out of the team um, the last couple of weeks before Pato got hurt. Uh, so I don't know if it's a personality clash with Pereja or if something tactically he, he doesn't like the way that that they set up with him on the on the field. But it's been a strange one. And then you know, they've switched Junior Urso, who's been traditionally an eight. He's been playing further up, and they've moved Pereira back, which is which is also an interesting wrinkle. Um, I don't know that that back line with Schlegel and Kyle Smith replacing Janssen. Um, and Moutinho right now, if if that's quite strong enough, um, it's just a team that I think is sort of treading water, um, not playing terrible, but not playing particularly well. And when you get uh, the schedule that they have coming up with New York and Seattle and a desperate Atlanta team, uh, I think Columbus is in there, Toronto as well. Uh, I don't see them making the playoffs, uh, which is, I think, surprising given where we thought they would probably be. Given the last two years, and with you know bringing in Araujo and Torres and Cara at the beginning of the year, yeah, they have so much talent. Like you just look at the roster, so much talent. We saw it even the first couple games. So much talent, especially like you mentioned, Faku Torres, Antonio Carlos was out for a little bit, then he came back, and we know that he's an absolute rock back there. Just hasn't really quite clicked Pedro Gallese not having as great a season as he had last year, I think it's fair to say. Gotta check the numbers on that one. But, you know, from what I've seen in the games, that's the case. But, yeah. A really, really weird season. I think I have to give the the weirdest team of the season award. It would 100% be to Orlando. Matt, do you agree with me in that, uh, in, in that assessment? And, yeah, just more on Orlando not being a team that we have a ton of confidence in. Man. Weirdest team in MLS is a 28-way race. Like, there's not a normal team in that group. Uh, do I... Th- I don't know. It becomes a question of how much can they rely on that cushion because we, we've said it about New York City, too. Like, they have been in really poor form, but they had a really, really good start. If there's a coach who's able to turn something like that around, I think that Oscar Pereja is one of those. Uh, and that's, that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of hope about Orlando at this point in time, because they're going to be going against teams that are going to out talent them. So it's all going to come down to how does Pareja get that team organized? Yeah, he's a quality coach. I think it just, it comes down to kind of marshalling what has been seemingly unmarshable at, at this point in the season, just because the results are so up and down and all around. But yeah, I, I think it is, like you said, worth mentioning these two Florida teams because they both got wins in a, a an East playoff race where so many of these teams didn't win on the weekend. Um, I think at this point, we can just kind of close it out 
but we still have a few minutes um, that we can fill. And so, Andres, I think I'll start with you. One game that you're really looking forward to this weekend that we haven't talked about, we've talked about quite a few. So, and this, we kind of finish up this hodgepodge episode with, you know, a good old favorites uh, section. Favorite game that you're looking forward to this weekend? So right now I'm all about uh, playoff implications, um, mostly above the line, below the lines type stuff, uh, rather than, than, the, than the top. So I'm, I'm looking at a few different games here that I think could be, you know, maybe the most critical. Uh, but I'm going to go with Cincinnati-Columbus, uh, just because, one, it's a rivalry game. Uh, hell is real. They're separated by one point. Uh, Columbus currently 7th, Cincinnati 9th, um, and I think, although I have a sneaky suspicion we might get a draw out of this one, if one of those two teams can pull off a win, um, it will put them in a much better spot going into to the last few games. So I'm interested, due to the rivalry aspect, I'm interested in the teams and how they play. Uh, Cucho and Zellerayan against Brenner, uh, Vasquez and Lucho, um, and also with the playoff implications. So that'll be my uh, go-to game. I was really worried that you were going to steal mine because for a lot of the same reasons without the rivalry match, I'm looking at Vancouver and Nashville. Uh, Nashville, a team that I think we can all say has underperformed our expectations, but can be very, very good. They have one of the best players in the league in Hani Mukhtar. Uh, There's some... A lot to like about this Nashville team. Uh, and so it becomes a question of what happens when they go into Vancouver. And Vancouver needs the points. They need to go ahead and really fight for every last point they can get if they're going to try and make it in. Uh, there's going to be some interesting tactical wrinkles because you have that really, really pretty strict midfield of Nashville that you're going to be going up against uh, versus a really a little bit more uh, liquid situation throughout the Vancouver lineup. Um, and then two of the best crossers of the ball in the league uh, in Shaq Moore versus Julian Gressel. So I, I, that's a match that I'm excited for. Yeah, both of those good matches, both of those matches that I, would, I probably would have been looking at if I had gone first or second, but alas, I go third. And I'll pick a game that doesn't have massive playoff implications, except for maybe seeding, but two teams that are you know, showing that they can make runs in the West. And that's Dallas, and that's RSL. Dallas will host RSL at 9 o'clock Eastern this coming Saturday. It'll be Jesus Ferreira's return from suspension um, at home. And these are teams that, you have Dallas, who's comfortably above the line, can basically, you know, put them in, and maybe not pen, but in some pretty dark pencil for the playoffs. And RSL, a team that I would say basically the same, just in terms of, how crowded it is at you know that sixth, seventh, eighth position. RSL sitting a few points clear of that line. So both these teams, in my opinion, are playoff teams. But there's so much in this game just because it's the contrasting styles. It's Dallas and it's you know all those national team guys who I always like loving uh, to watch anyways. And then RSL and kind of their weird style that seems to win them games at times, playoff games like last year. It's just a really interesting matchup to me for some reason. And two teams that are, you know, playoff teams and have distinguished themselves this season to be a kind of above the fray. Andres, any thoughts on either of uh, either my game or Matt's game? I think they're they're both good shouts. Um and they were definitely on my on my list. 
of games that uh, I was considering as maybe the go-to game. Uh, I'll just make a quick shout real quick. Charlotte, Toronto. Um, I don't think... I keep going back and forth on Toronto. I'm back out on them this week after after the midweek and the and the weekend, um, and I think Charlotte's not making it either. But it, it, the loser of this game might be pretty much eliminated here. Uh, so that's also a, a an interesting matchup in terms of this is getting close to a winner go home for I think for those two teams uh, going into this weekend. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent Toronto and that kind of allure of that team has kind of vanished and now they're down to their last life even with all these great players. Matt, any final words before we wrap it up for another week? I've got nothing. Let's go for another crazy week in MLS. It's going to be awesome one, especially like you mentioned, you know, the Ohio Derby, you have all these, you know, crazy games um on Friday, then you have the Saturday games with the uh you know, Red Bulls enter Miami, FC Dallas RSL, Vancouver Nashville, like we mentioned, Orlando on Sunday. It's just an absolutely packed weekend. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the weekend. Um, and, and just some housekeeping notes. Uh, I have an interview with Matt Hartman coming out probably tomorrow or the day after that. Um, I'm going to chat with him about the new homegrown rules in MLS that might not impact any teams next season, but will have massive impacts down the line as these young players you know, might have a little more freedom and what they, you know, are going to do. But it, it's definitely a, a nuanced, um, a, a nuanced batch of rules that's come out uh, in the last day or so from MLS that'll shape the way that we look at this league moving forward. Um, and so I'll touch on uh, touch on that with Hartman, who's extremely knowledgeable about that in the coming days. But that's about it for another week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I never really uh, mentioned this, but if you could throw like a download or something, you know, we don't re- with podcasts, it's hard to know who listens, how many people listen. So that would be, a, uh, that gives us a great idea of, you know, kind of our, our amount of listeners, how we can tailor our content better to our listeners. So that would be uh, great if you guys could throw us a download, a, a like or whatever on Twitter as well. All that is very much appreciated. But you know, overall, listening is the most important thing that you can do, and we thank you so much for that. So, until next week, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we'll see you then.